social determinants of health into professional teams, improving healthcare delivery to patients and families. These are the themes of our Urban Service Talks, a podcast featuring the stories of students from a variety of healthcare professions, learning together to serve patients in our underserved community. We are a group of curious Urban Service Track AX scholars, sharing insight to educate and spark change wherever our stories are told. Welcome back, everyone, to Urban Service Talks, where healthcare professionals from different disciplines join to talk about important and pressing issues impacting our community. It is our pleasure to be hosting the third episode in the mini-series where we will be discussing the impact of the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Just a reminder that the opinions expressed are our own and do not represent the opinions of Connecticut AHAT, UConn, or other affiliated organizations. My name is Patricia. I am a second-year dental student. My name is Zara. I'm a fourth-year nursing student. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm a second-year medical student. Hi, I'm Abhishek. I'm a second-year medical student. And I'm Edison, a second-year dental student. On today's episode, we will be discussing the impact of overturning Roe versus Wade on lower socioeconomic and minority communities. Here to discuss the topic with us today is Dr. Lucinda Canty. Dr. Canty is a nurse midwife who provides women's health care at Planned Parenthood of Southern New England. She's an associate professor of nursing at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and received her BSN from Columbia University, her MSN from Yale University, and her PhD from the University of Connecticut. As you probably already know, on June 24, 2022, the United States Supreme Court overturned the constitutional right to an abortion in its ruling on the case Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization. Today, we will be looking through the lens of reproductive justice at how this decision by the court may impact minority communities and people of low socioeconomic status for people capable of conceiving and also those around them. We invite Dr. Canty today to share her knowledge and experience on the impact of overturning Roe versus Wade on minorities and lower socioeconomic communities. Welcome, Dr. Canty. We appreciate you taking the time to talk with us for this podcast. Thank you for having me. We would like to start the discussion by asking you, how have you been personally impacted by the overturn of Roe versus Wade as a provider in Connecticut? And how would it impact you if you were a provider in a state such as Texas? So, and I want to start with just saying that I was shocked when the ruling happened. I just thought, I just knew it wasn't going to go through. And when it did, it was very shocking. And as a provider, and I've been practicing for almost 30 years, I know how important it is for women to have control over their bodies, to be able to make decisions about their bodies, because they're the ones that have to live with it. So as a provider, I'm just grateful that I'm in Connecticut and I'm working with an organization that's supportive of women's rights and also are very open to anyone coming from the outside of Connecticut into Connecticut to receive services. So we were already kind of prepared that if this happened, we were still gonna continue to go forward with providing resources. So as a provider, it was disappointing. Very early in my career, I worked for an organization that received um, Title X funding, which anyone could come in and have free reproductive services. We didn't provide abortion, but we provided birth control, STD screening, annual checkups, 
But we could not because we received that funding. There were laws that were put in place that said that we could not talk about abortion. And for some women, pregnancy is a crisis. So to have someone come in and be told that you can't talk about it, you can't refer them, it was very restrictive. So when I heard about how this, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, I was like, we're going back in time because I'm talking, you know, over t- almost 20 years ago. So we went, we're going back in time when we really should continue to progress and move forward. And I just want to say it impacted me as a provider, but also as a Black woman, because knowing my history, since the moment that enslaved people came here, Black women didn't have any kind of rights over their reproductive health. So it's like we're in a country where, again, are we going back to those times of slavery when we didn't have control over our bodies because people didn't trust that we did? But I know from the populations that I've worked with, I work with people who are low income, people of color, transgender, non-binary people. And we all know how to control our bodies, and we're, but we're not given the opportunities to be respected in that way. So it was very devastating on several levels. So you mentioned Texas and the restrictions that they have. If I was in Texas, I would probably be arrested because I disagree with the restrictions that they're placing. I And every day, it's like I hear another part that is making it more challenging for women, that even if the woman's life is in danger, that there has to be certain things in place for them to even do something to protect the mother. So it's just very scary. And, you know, I'm glad that I've been in Connecticut, able to practice here. Again, I'm glad I'm at an organization that understands that women um, have rights when it comes to their reproductive selves, but I could not follow those rules. So I would have to leave the state or I have to do something underground. There's no way that I would follow that. I love that. It shows your passion about your work and how you want to help people. And I really love that about you. Since you are a provider at Planned Parenthood, what barriers and obstacles have you seen that people in underserved communities face since seeking reproductive care before the Dobbs versus Jacks decision? So I feel like, again, I feel like I'm at a good place because anyone who walks through the door can receive care. You don't even have to give your full name, your real name, because they want to make sure there's no barriers to that. But in working with you know, marginalized communities, there's always a sense that people are making decisions for us, that even some of the base, our basic needs, someone wants to tell us what we need and what we don't need. And so I just feel that it's very challenging with healthcare because when anyone comes in for services, I just strongly believe that you have to go in to an environment where you feel safe. You have to be able to have your questions answered. Instead of people telling you what you need, you should be telling them what you need. And I think sometimes when we're looking at certain communities, people feel like we don't know. And I'm just including myself as a woman of color, because even with my PhD, I can still go in and people treat me like I don't understand and I can't make decisions. And there are people in that, and sometimes that's even with people knowing that I'm a, a nurse midwife, that I'm in nursing. But can you imagine if that's, you know, I go into a setting and people still pretend like I don't know or I'm invisible. And that's the problems that we see in these communities, again, that are marginalized. So low income, again, people of color. And I'm just going to add in transgender 
um, population as well, because they go in for care and they don't always feel safe. And I just think that's a basic human right to go in and feel safe and feel listened to. And I've cared for women who were low income, that didn't have any money, that were even worried about how they were going to live, how they were going to get their next meal, but they still knew what they wanted for their body. They knew if they didn't want to get pregnant and they knew there were things that they could do. And it was just giving them that space to be able to talk. But as we take away those rights, it leaves people confused with what they do have the right to. What are their options? And that's the scary thing, because even in Connecticut, there are people who don't understand the laws, who don't understand that if I go to another state, I don't have the same rights that I have in Connecticut. So I just think that we have to just make sure that they're getting the information that they need. Right. I agree. How do you go about educating people who don't understand their options going to other states to get the care that they need? And that's a very important question. And I'm just going back a little bit. And, you know, this was pre the overturn of Roe v. v. Wade, is that um, in certain states, it's easier to get like Medicaid insurance. But if you move to another state, you may not have easy access to care. It may be more challenging. And I had women who were pregnant that moved to another state for school, you know, for their husband or their partner had a new job. And they were calling me here in Connecticut. They were like, nobody will see me because I don't qualify. And there I qualify. So I just think it's so important to know and understand, even before you go and you actually move, what are the resources available in the town that you're going to live in or the city you're going to live in? So I think that's very important, but they have to understand when it comes to their reproductive bodies, what are they going to have access to? Because we even look at challenges to certain birth control, where it may not be covered under certain insurance. Or if you change from one job and you're working suddenly at, you know, a Catholic organization where we know under our previous administration, laws were changed that if they didn't want to cover your birth control, they didn't have to. So I just feel that these are things sometimes that we take for granted that we have to make sure we're aware of because it impacts us. And I just want to say also is that before I make assumptions about what people know and don't know, I want to have a conversation first because sometimes they know more than what you know and you're the provider. And some providers get a little sensitive about that. You know, I could take it. I've had people check me <laughs> with certain things. I'm like asking them or it's, I'm assuming that they don't know something when they do. So it's very important to see what they know first and see where they want help with. That's very interesting and a great perspective and initiative to do because I didn't think about going to another state and not really understanding or like know or understand if you had the same right to get access as opposed to your home state. That's not something that I really think about when if I'm going somewhere. So that's very interesting. Speaking of rights, I wanted to preface this next question with the definition of unenumerated rights or can also be called unwritten rights. And these are legal rights that are implied by existing laws, but not blatantly stated in the Constitution. So how can we educate others about the threat this ruling poses to patients and to unenumerated rights for underrepresented communities? Yes, I love that question. I love that question because when I first became a nurse midwife, I never was involved in politics. I didn't look at what laws impacted my practice. The only thing I knew was that I could write prescriptions because even there were certain states where midwives didn't have prescriptive authority. So that was all that I knew. But I didn't understand how certain laws would impact my care. 
And that was shocking to me. And even with knowing that, I was like, oh, somebody else will take care of that. And one lesson that I learned was when it came to our nursing licenses. I think it was like $40 for one and $60 for the other. And they were saying that, oh, people are protesting because they want to go up. And I'm like, oh, there's other nurses. They'll handle that. But because no, nobody went, as far as in my, um, my circle, the laws went through and they doubled our fees, our licensing fees. So now I pay $210. So for me, that was a lesson learned. So I just, I'm just saying that because there are so many things that impact us that we have to educate ourselves and we can't depend on others to take care of that. So it's just very important, but also for our patients, we have to be aware. We have to understand there are some that don't have access to that. There are people who are just trying to survive that have to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. So that's the last thing on their radar. So we have to be able to educate ourselves so that we can educate them when they come in. So I I just think that's an important question, but I just have to say as providers, we often separate ourselves and we don't even know what's happening in the legislative offices right now. We don't, some of us don't even know who our officials are. And I'm not going to lie. When I first got involved, somebody was like, go to your local officials. And I was like, who are they? <laughs> I didn't know. But then I realized if you want to navigate the system, if you want to look at those laws, because a lot of laws don't have the average person involved in the decision making. You know, my area is Black maternal health, is looking at, again, reproductive justice. But I know there's not a lot of people representative of that who are making decisions about it. So that's why I had to become more involved and I had to have a voice. And what I realized was, as a provider, there are officials who don't even know what we're doing on the ground level, what we're doing with our patients and the issues that we see. And it's important to educate them. And I'll just give you a very quick example. Right now, like doulas are not covered under Medicaid or most insurances. I don't think there's any insurances covering them in Connecticut. And I went and um, did a testimony and I talked about my own research and I gave experiences of women who had severe complications. And I had a, a politician come up to me after and said, I had no clue. I didn't know. I heard the statistics, but I didn't know how that looks on the ground level. And it's the same, even though, you know, when we're looking at the current laws regarding abortion, people also have to realize it's not just abortion that's under attack, it's really our freedom that's under attack. So it's just so important that we understand that and we let people know how that looks. Even now, people will, when you think of abortion and why you want people to have rights, people are saying, well, what if, you know, something violent happens to them? And definitely in that case, you want women to make decisions about their bodies. But do I have to have the most extreme case to have rights and control over my body? But if you don't understand that pregnancy is a blessing for some, and for some it is a straight out crisis. And how do we support them through making some of the most difficult decisions in their lives? But often when they have those restrictions on abortion, they're also restricting contraceptive access. They're restricting other services that are so important. Even people don't even know, like at Planned Parenthood, we do annual GYN exams. We do breast exams. So it's not only about abortion. There's so many other services that we do. I'm highlighting Planned Parenthood because that's where I work. But there's other centers who have been infected, impacted by these laws that they had to close down. But they provided just basic services for the people in their community. 
And when we're looking at Texas, imagine driving two hours, three hours just to get birth control because your local center closed and they didn't even provide abortion care. They were just providing birth control, but still they fell under the laws that caused restrictions. So can you imagine that? Like right now having to travel two, three hours and if you don't have the money to even pay for transportation, you know, what, you know, what are you left with? It just limits. I feel like when you limit our options, you're, you're limiting our ability to just basically take care of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And definitely our freedom is under attack. Um, and other unenumerated rights definitely would be affected here. And I think you touched on that a little bit. We wanted to transition to a question about us specifically. We're in a program called Urban Service Tracks. It works in interdisciplinary teams um, such as RNs, MDs, law students or licensed social worker students, as well as pharmacy students. So we want to know what you think you can offer in our various professions to make an impact on this situation right now. Oh, I love this. I love this question. I think first is important for providers, any health discipline that you're in, any time that you're coming in, in contact with people of reproductive of age. But I think I think for any patient that you care for, educate yourself. Educate yourself on what this means when someone has some of their basic rights taken away. But also even go deeper than that and look at the structures in place that even made this happen. Because can you imagine with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, some people are, were saying that my grandmother had more rights than I have right now. So I think that we have to look deeper at some of those other social issues, some of those other structural issues that prevent people from caring for themselves. As providers, we have to be able to understand and know our own biases because if you have someone who is poor that's coming in and your thought is, I don't want her getting pregnant anyways because you know she's not going to be able to take care of her child. Or you see someone that comes in who you're like making assumptions about what they can and can't do, that's already going to have an impact on their care. But just think that anytime the person enters a healthcare system, whether you're their dentist, the pharmacist, even I'm, I'm going to even add the person at the front desk, everyone who comes in contact with that person who enters the healthcare system has a right and a responsibility to treat them with respect and dignity, whether they have insurance or they don't, whether they're rich or they're poor, whether they have a degree or they don't. They still have the right to just have the basic, just to be seen as human. So regardless of where you're at and what program you're in, just always keep in mind the power that you do have as a provider. And think about how that interaction you have can create trauma to that person if they're not treated with respect. If you um, don't answer their question or their needs, they're going to think that's what the healthcare system is like. And they may not return for even when they need something that's so important for them to care for themselves. But I think the first thing is really do a critical evaluation of yourself and your biases. And even think about history because to really understand what's currently happening, we have to look back at the history of reproductive health in this country. You have to think back to, there was a time when women couldn't even leave the home. So when you look at that history, you could still see some of those, some of the things from that time. You could see how they're still having an impact on how people are treated today. And I always say that reproductive health, reproductive justice, the more rights, and I'm just going to focus on women at this moment, but it goes for any anyone, 
But the more rights that women have, the better they're treated in society and the better health outcomes they have. But you have to know that history. If you don't know that history, it's easy to fall into this current system. It's easy for you to say that we're we're looking at the life of the baby, which I think is important, or the life of the fetus. But what about the people who are already here and providing them what they need and prevention? There's, you know, you're talking about abortion and that's what you want, but what about her access to birth control? What about her access to going in and getting care and feeling safe? If you're not taking care of those, how are you looking at other pieces? So I'm just saying that we have to look at the whole picture of what's happening in our society. And I just feel like you're all young and I'm just making that assumption, but you're all young and you're learning. So you don't have to let things be the way that they are. You don't have to go along with things. How many of you have done something and someone was like, well, that's our policy. That's how we do things. So ask them who made that policy. And they'll be like, George Washington. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> you're going way back. So, so anyway, start to question, start to ask. Don't just keep doing what we've always done because some of those laws have been built at a time when no one had rights. So I just, I just want to say that you are at a position where you can change the way things are moving forward. But just be aware of who you are and where you sit in this. And the reason I say it that way is because any of us can fall into the system. You know, as a, as a Black woman, I, you know, I had to learn my history. But as a Black woman, I could easily start following policies. And then I was like, wait a minute, these policies are hurting people that look like me or, the, or who are me. So I had to say, you know what, I'm not doing that anymore. And I started to challenge it. But I didn't, I was deep in the system before I realized it was a concern. So I'm just saying, just open your eyes, just be aware. And I always go back to the basics, treat people how if that was your mother, if that was your sister, your brother, if they were coming in for care. And again, even go to the pharmacist, you know that there's issues when you go in that you could make to be made to feel uncomfortable. So I'm just saying, just think about, do you want someone close to you to be treated that way? Do you want to be treated that way? It's just about looking at people as a human being. And I say, when you start there and you see them as individuals, and then you learn, what can I do to help this person care for themselves? Because I still strongly feel as providers, we could either be a barrier or we could be someone to promote and help them to care for themselves. And there's nothing like having someone leave your care saying, thank you. You know, I never felt as the safe in my life. Or thank you, you know, you're helping me see things and I know I can do this. I can take better care of myself. So just imagine the power that you have. Absolutely. Thank you for your response. And I definitely agree with everything you were saying. It's really important for us to look within ourselves and also to educate ourselves first. That's the first step. And then after that, it's just tangible goals. So things that we can actually go out and do ourselves. Although, and you have armed us with a lot. One of my colleagues had another question related to sort of what we can do in the future. So my question is, if this continues to be the trajectory of reproductive rights, what can happen in the future? What can happen in the future, I think, is preventable deaths, preventable complications. I think um, it can impact people's health and well-being. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because I've seen a lot and I feel that things don't have to be the way they are. I think our healthcare system is a beast. 
it makes you feel like things are going to be this way and there's nothing that you can do. But I think that it's all a lie to kind of manipulate us, to gaslight us. I think that we don't have to have things this way. But I think the more that we try to control something that I feel is so private and so personal, the more that we are doing that, I think the that we're losing humanity. And I, I think that we just have to be careful of that because I feel like people are more aware. We're having conversations about this like now, like what we're doing now. When I was your age, we couldn't have this conversation. I couldn't sit, you know, with my professors present and talk about abortion. I would be escorted out. I'll be escorted out the building. So you're able to do that. So for me, it's showing that we can change and that we can do better. And that, again, we can continue to challenge these systems because I feel like, well, this is my kind of theme for this year is using those systems that oppress us to liberate us. So I can't I can't burn things down because I don't have the resources to build them back up. But how do I take what's already existing and use it to help liberate people, to free them? And when I think of freedom, I think of not being able to worry about someone making decisions about your body. So I'm just hopeful that things are not going to continue the way they are. Thank you so much for your response. Again, we've learned so much already and touched on like very important issues regarding the impact of how the overturning of Roe versus Wade has had on lower socioeconomic and also minority communities from you. Our last question here is where do we go from here and how can us and public citizens as individuals can be involved to make this fully a reality or even better? Yes, I think it starts with us working together. That even though we're involved in different disciplines, that we're stronger when we're together. And I think that we have to look at the value that each of us contribute. And then as far as just engaging the community, I think that people have to see us. You know, for, for me, it's like I could be in the office providing care, but if I don't go out into the community and talk with people and see what their needs are, I'm never going to understand what's needed when people come in. And or people don't even know like the work that we're doing. So that's why we need that connection. There's so much that we can do in the hospital, in our outpatient centers that I can do, you know, on the college campus. But if I don't connect with the community, I'm really not going to make any, you know, significant impact. So I have to connect with the community. And when I go into the community, I don't go in like, I'm God's gift to all of you. I'm going to save you all. I go in saying that I'm from the community. What can I do from where I'm at to help? Tell me what you need. I can't tell you what you need. Tell me what you need. But if I don't have that connection, I can do all these talks. I can go to the state capitol. But if I don't connect with the community, it's not going to really have a, the change that I want to have. Because if I'm saying that I'm advocating for them, but I don't even talk to them, that doesn't even make sense. So I'm just saying that we need that connection and we have to go in again. Don't go in like, oh, I'm here. I got twenty dollars. I'm going to take all of you out to eat. You're not going to get far with twenty dollars. But if you go in and you say, I don't have, you know, I'm coming in with my heart. I'm coming in because I want all of us to do better and have better. Then there's going to be a different response. But it does. Again, it's like shifting that power. And making people feel like you're really there for them. 
Dr. Canty, it's been amazing having you on this podcast with us. Thank you so much for discussing this important topic with us. Where can we find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Yeah, so my website, lucindashouse.org. I'm in the community providing um, education, support, connection to resources. And on my website, you can find out about myself and my the work that I do. Amazing. Thank you so much. We're so grateful for you joining us today, highlighting the impact of the overturn of Roe versus Wade, specifically on underrepresented communities. Uh, it helps to elucidate just how large the scope of this decision is. Thank you for giving us the insight into the current landscape of reproductive care as you see it in Connecticut and also from the perspective of other providers. Thank you for your thoughts on how we as future healthcare providers can make a difference in this space. We appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thank you for having me. This podcast is sponsored by Connecticut AHEC and UConn Help. Let's keep this talk going. Join us on Twitter at Talks Service. Instagram at Urban Service Talks or by email at ust.pod at gmail.com. <laughs>